Real Talkers, what do you know about trans and non-binary health care? It seems like politicians are talking about it more than the physicians themselves. And I think it's safe to say it's become one of the more polarizing topics in Canada in recent years, including the Conservative Party convention in Quebec over the weekend. In this episode of Real Talk, we're going to connect with a physician and a conservative delegate. We hope you enjoy. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to Real Talk. Jesperson here with technical producer John Hicks. I just have a feeling about this show. I know it's going to be a good show, and I think no matter where you land... On certain subjects, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no matter how you feel about some of the items in the news that that challenge many of us, I think that your brain's going to be put to work today. I think that this show and the guests that we have lined up are going to are going to in in one or perhaps several ways, shapes, and forms uh, going to challenge what you currently think about some important issues, about some of the issues that. Canadians are talking about leading off newscasts and maybe about some issues that are barely cracking those newscast lineups. Coming up in about a half an hour from now, we're going to talk to Jennifer Laywetz. She was on that flight, that WestJet flight back to Alberta, the one where Poliev addressed the passengers and, and talked about how there'd be turbulence for the next two years. She was out there as a delegate out of Saskatchewan for the Conservative Party of Canada's convention. Uh, she's going to be joining us to talk about her personal experience there and what some of the takeaway was. We made a commitment to you, Real Talk. We were going to hit that convention story from a few different angles, right? The, the pundit, Charles Adler, on Monday. And then, of course, the political strategist yesterday, David Hurley, host of the Hurley Burley. And, and today, Jennifer will be our guest. But we'll lead off today in just a moment uh, with a doctor, Dr. Kate Greenaway, who's opening a new clinic dedicated to trans health in the province of Alberta. She's been working in the field for 20 years now, and she's going to be bringing the gender-affirming care to this western province that was a subject of great conversation you'll likely remember especially if you heard adler and i talking on monday at the conservative convention delegates party members voted against access to gender affirming care for minors now we're going to talk to the doctor about that plus of course widen out we'll zoom out and talk about the bigger picture so it's going to be a great show, and it's presented today by our friends at Rello. You may be in this boat where you've sent your kids back to school. It is that time of year, right? Well, back-to-school season isn't just for the kids. If you're feeling stuck or unsatisfied in your job, now is the perfect time to go back to school for a new career. You can launch a rewarding career in real estate with Rello's affordable online courses. The courses make it easy to pass your exam and get your real estate license so you can run your own business, set your own hours, and be your own boss. The best part about it, probably the earning potential is unlimited. Plus, you'll be helping people every single day as they buy or sell their homes. Now, the coolest thing about Rello, I think, is how committed they are to your success. So it's not just the online courses. They have live instructors who host online exam prep sessions every Saturday. They want you to succeed, and they have a ton of resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. So the supports continue. Now, because you're a real talker, there's a special deal for you. Right now, you can knock 20% off any Rello course 
with the code REALTALK, all one word, the code REALTALK at Rello, that's R-E-L-O dot C-A. Dr. Kate Greenaway is a physician who's been providing gender-affirming care for more than two decades. She was the founder of Connect Clinic, which is a virtual clinic uh, for trans and gender-diverse people in Ontario. And she's now the medical director of Foria Clinic, uh, which provides gender-affirming care in Ontario and will soon be opening in Alberta. Dr. Kate Greenaway joining us live on the show this morning. Thank you for making time for us, doctor. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. For people that are maybe unfamiliar with what gender-affirming care is, can you explain what you do? Sure. Gender-affirming care actually speaks to any interventions that help support someone's gender identity. So it doesn't need to be medical. It could be psychological, social interventions. But for me, a lot of what I do is medical interventions, obviously. What, what, uh, what drew you to the, to the field? I'm, I'm assuming that was relatively early in your career. Yeah, it was actually right away in my career. I moved to Toronto specifically to get training in LGBT care. Um, And the reason I was drawn to gender affirming care is because I'd had friends um, that were really unable to access any care, that wanted to transition, wanted some support around their gender identity and just didn't have any options. Um, And so I saw a really big need and I wanted to step in and uh, provide whatever support I could. So so basically... I mean, maybe there's an asterisk, maybe there were some supports, but in, in your assessment 20 years ago, generally speaking for a, for a, a trans or nine, non-binary person uh, in Canada, the, the medical supports or psychological supports um, or maybe specialized or specific supports were very limited. Yeah, and I think the important thing then and now is that medical care is delivered provincially, right? So every province is very different. Um, and there were supports available. You're right. There is an asterisk. It's not that there were no supports. It's just that it was an evolving kind of field and understanding of expertise was still developing in that time. It might sound like a stupid or obvious question, but sometimes I've, I've got to ask them, why is it important to have specialized care? Actually, that is a really great question. And I don't want to use the term specialized to mean that it needs to be a specialist or, you know, someone particular who needs to provide this care. I think what I'm getting at here is that um, we need the provider, the clinician to have some understanding of gender identity and what gender dysphoria is. But it could actually be your family doctor, your nurse practitioner, um, you know, the therapist you see. It doesn't have to be an endocrinologist or psychiatrist providing this care. And I spent a lot of my career trying to. Uh, just build capacity in our system overall and teach primary care providers that they can actually do this as part of their routine care. Okay. Um, hey, by the way, uh, sometimes I'll just like spell this out to guests uh, and, and sometimes sure. guests just take the initiative themselves. But but I want to let you know that like we're all here to learn. Uh, so if there's like language I use or a phrase I use or something that's like dated or whatever the case is, please feel free to jump in and correct me. We all want to learn here together. Um, or we're talking about like we hear it oftentimes described as like sex reassignment surgery uh, or, or gender affirmation surgery. Is that the same thing? I mean, is that basically what you do at the Foria Clinic? Uh, so sex reassignment surgery would be one of those outdated terms, uh, gender, gender affirming surgeries are a particular part of gender affirming care. We are not providing surgery. Um, so the care that we do is more around, um, 
the primary care support. So access to hormones would be a major, major thing that we're providing. So helping people get assessments and get started on hormones, if that's going to help align their gender identity. And in Ontario, we've been working on doing surgery referrals as well, which is a goal for us to do in Alberta, but we're starting with the hormone assessment to kind of roll out our program in Alberta. So could, could and, do and you to have- be clear, yeah, it's not, it's not surgery referrals. Um, surgeries we're doing and the assessments and referrals to surgeons. I see. Okay. So, but you yeah. would have like, w- would you have uh, trans patients or non-binary patients that are, that would come to your clinic uh, like, because like they have a headache or because they, they blew their mm-hmm. knee out playing basketball, but they just want to be talking to a physician that, that has like kind of dedicated their practice and their career uh, to their community or to their reality. Yeah, another great question. So before I did Connect Clinic full time, I was a full practice family physician. So certainly people in my practice who were trans or uh, gender diverse would come to me for all of those things you just mentioned, right? Stomachache, a headache, uh, an injury. Um, At Foria and at Connect before it, we are specifically focusing on interventions around um, affirmation of the gender identity that a primary provider may not want to take on. Right. So we're trying to fill a gap here saying, you know, if if you really need to start hormones, but your your family doctor says they don't really understand how to get you started. We're here to fill that gap for you and help you out. Um, But our hope is that we are working with primary care providers who are going to be seeing them if they have a headache or, you know, have blown out their knee. So it is sort of a partnership and it's not the full service primary care that we're doing. Yeah, totally, totally unfair question for you, because I'm going to ask you to assess the capabilities and the competence of every single physician in the country uh, <laughs> all at once. Uh, but generally speaking, do you think that the medical community is well equipped, uh, uh, has the insights necessary to to provide proper medical care for the for the patients that that, of course, you've been providing care for? It's just a bit of a challenging question in that um Capacity over the past 20 years has increased significantly, right? So understanding of gender diversity, assessments of gender dysphoria have really um, improved in the healthcare setting overall, but there are still a lot of gaps. Um, When I started Connect Clinic in 2019, I thought there might be a few gaps that I could help fill for people. I had actually no perception of what the need would be in Ontario. And by the time Connect Clinic closed um, because of funding changes in Ontario, we had 1,500 active patients and 2,000 on our wait list. And these were people that really couldn't find um, rapid access or just not even rapid, just like timely access to mm. the kind of care we were offering. Um, and, you know, Canada is a very geographically diverse country and each province is geographically diverse. So what we see is kind of um, maybe allocation of resources in these urban centers, but then you get a lot of other communities that just don't have a lot of access at all. and. So I'm not saying that the family physicians and the nurse practitioners in those communities are are doing something poorly, but I think they feel like they don't have supports either, right? And they may not have the knowledge or um, the access to continuing medical education to learn just the kinds of interventions we're doing to help support people. Do you perceive or do you understand what you do to be controversial? (laughs) Um, I haven't you know, traditionally understood it to be controversial, I guess is what I would say. Um, Although I do understand we're being pushed to consider it that way. I Mm. think that the way I see gender affirming care is it is internationally recognized and recommended as an intervention for people um, 
in terms of supporting gender identity. So I think the controversy is not so much in the medical profession um, as much as, you know, we're seeing it pushed in the media as a more social perception, I would say, of controversy. Yeah, I want to I want to talk to you and I, and I let you know ahead of time. I want to talk to you about, about politics and culture wars mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, and obviously over the weekend. Uh, this became a subject of, of uh, you know, obviously great focus at the Conservative Party of Canada's convention. What would be the youngest patient that you would work with? So um, when I was with Connect Clinic, we didn't have any age cutoffs at all. So if someone wanted to talk to us and get information and access our service, um, that was that was open. Foria is a relative new program so we are rolling out services as we have the capacity to manage those services in ontario we did start uh, with 18 and over um we've built our capacity in some realms and we've been able to uh start seeing 16 and 17 year olds as well um in alberta we're starting in 18 year olds uh with hormone assessments but in my career i've certainly seen um a, a big diversity of ages in my patients let me ask you about uh, about what went down this weekend uh, where conservative delegates, uh, you know, bringing their resolutions. Obviously, this is kind of, you know, just for the benefit of our audience, I'll say that, you know, political conventions are typically where the grassroots and the members can have their say. So whatever's voted on at the convention doesn't necessarily indicate what the party's platform is going to be the next election or what have you. Uh, Pierre Polyev wanted to talk about housing this weekend, but one of the resolutions that was voted on by members would see a conservative government restrict gender-affirming medical care for transgender youth. Um, I should mention there was another resolution that would that opposes the inclusion of trans women in women's spaces like sports teams and bathrooms. Uh, is it a good thing in your mind that this is in the spotlight and people are talking about it? Uh, or does your gut sink when you see something like this, or how do you process it? Yeah, I, I would go more with the gut sink. Like it's a pretty upsetting conversation to listen to um, because it really it's a creation of a culture of fear and discrimination for a group that's already, you know, marginalized and excluded from, uh, you know, lots of employment opportunities, housing and social services and medical services. So Really, we're taking a group that we've already pushed to the side of, you know, trans, non-binary, gender diverse people and say, like, actually, we should probably fear them and discriminate against them further. Like, to me, that's very difficult to listen to. Do you think that the general public understands what you do? I mean, there, there, there are a lot of opinions flying, even in our in our text line right now, in our live chat. Um, yeah. you know, people are already arguing about it, right? One of the first comments we saw this morning, someone says, leave the children alone. Uh, you know, do you think the general public gets it? Um, again, I think this creation of a climate of fear and discrimination is, is working. Like, I think people are drawn to that kind of uh, rhetoric. I also think that I have experienced a huge amount of community support mm-hmm. through my work. Like, I have been blown blown away by the people who you know reached out to me when connect clinic was um having its struggles in ontario and so i i think that there are many many people who get it and who have family members or you know themselves are trans or gender diverse but they sort of experience it in their personal sphere and can put those pieces together um but again i do think there is a kind of you know fear-based rhetoric that people can um 
I don't get attached to. And I see that happening. And I think there is a difficulty because sometimes uh, the, there are parts of the media that really like to capitalize on, you know, stirring up that kind of fear and worry. And so we end up seeing a lot of coverage of topics um, that are very, that are just meant to stir those emotions, right? They're not about kind of the day-to-day issues we're seeing for people, um, you know, trans and non-binary people in our communities. There are these like sensational stories that get people worked up and um, fearful. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that is my concern. Is it cool with you if I read some, I want to read some comments to you and give you a chance to, I mean, I think for here, for a, for a learning opportunity and for the purpose of, of conversation, this would be great. Erica, for example, uh, says, you know, minors should be offered every supplementary psychological or counseling support, uh, but no irreversible procedure, whether chemical or surgical, uh, should be done to a minor ever. What would you say to Erica? Well, I guess I, I like to remind people that the relationship between a patient and their physician or their nurse practitioner is actually already very well governed um, by our regulatory colleges and we are trained clinicians. And it's actually, it's not a public discussion <laughs> what happens in a medical procedure, right? It is an interaction between a healthcare provider um, and the patient and it is governed by international standards and guidelines, right? So, um, to me, this sort of discussion about like what we can limit through health policy, it feels a bit misguided because we are trained as clinicians to understand um, health and our patients and to have a relationship uh, and a team relationship. I'm not saying it's just me alone. It may be psychologists, maybe pediatricians and endocrinologists, but we have a team that works with patients um, and we don't sort of take it to a vote to the public what should happen there. And again, gender affirming care, like I said before, medically is not seen, you know, from what I understand from the international guidelines as being uh, controversial, that there are very well understood and defined practices that are safe, right? And we do know that because gender affirming care can include so many things, it can include like understanding someone's name and pronouns and using them appropriately, um, that many of these change, many of these like affirming things that we're doing are actually not necessarily medical at all. So I think there's kind of a, a misperception here of what's what's happening behind those closed doors. Um, I was reading, I wanted to make sure that I approach this conversation with at least some understanding of, of what's going on because I, like every other human that's not a doctor, that didn't graduate from medical school, that doesn't have 20 years of experience like you, all I know is really what I hear from experts through conversations like this and then what I see people saying on social media, which which like is not the best source, you know, for forming your opinions, uh, the, the information, the comments are not vetted, uh, very rarely fact checked. Um, and one of the common assertions that you'll see from, a, I guess you'd call them opponents or critics uh, of gender affirming care would would be the suicide, uh, suicidality of uh, patients who ha- post-op. Uh, of trans patients post-op. And I wanted to, you're shaking your head for the benefit of people yeah. on the podcast. Um, so I read, uh, uh, there, there's a report here, suicide-related outcomes following gender-affirming treatment, a review by the National Library of Medicine. And essentially, if you read that review, it says that there's there's not enough research being done 
the report acknowledges that suicide or suicidal ideation is a reality, uh, tragically, um, um, uh, among the trans community. Rates are higher uh, for various reasons. You could comment on that more with more authority than I could. Um, but oftentimes, and I, I'm sure you've seen it, and I'm sure you've heard it from critics, uh, people assert that this is a real problem, that there's a, a regret, a post-op regret. And I wanted to ask you to take yeah. that on. Yeah. I, yes. And I have maybe two parts to this answer. And the first is about the suicidality part. Um, and one thing we do know, which has been shown in our, our research and evidence, not mine specifically, but in the, in the sphere, um, is that suicidality is very common, unfortunately, in people that are uh, trans, non-binary, gender diverse. And the feelings of despair and suicidality um, increase when people don't have access to care. So we, it has been shown that when people get, um, you know, access to hormones or even just access to physicians and nurses that have expertise in this area, that the rates of distress and suicidality drop markedly like just getting into care. So we do know that that's actually a protective factor. We can save people's lives by getting them into affirming care. In terms of post-operative regret, it's actually extremely rare in any of the literature that has studied this. Um, a new study came out recently about um, chest surgery. So like a masculinizing surgery for people who have a male gender identity that may have uh, tissue on their chest that they want removed. And they found the post-op regret to be approaching zero in this in this newer study that they did and and generally it's not that it it doesn't happen like the way i look at it is that gender is um a part of our our understanding of ourselves but it can change over time right we can change and so there there are times i suppose i i, I experience it to be fairly rare in these surgical experiences where people you know they've changed their perception of gender again and this this new um, a procedure they had doesn't doesn't match, but the literature doesn't support that this is a huge problem, and it doesn't support that um, you know this this feeling of regret is something that's really prevalent in our community. I also in the, sorry in the communities we serve. Um, I think that if you invoke regret, it tends to make healthcare providers nervous, and I think that's maybe part of the goal here. Mm. Right. So I do hear doctors saying to me, like, you know, oh, should I even should I even be starting this person on hormones or like working on their surgical referrals? Because, like, I don't know how to assess whether they will feel regret. Um, and it then becomes its own barrier. Right. People are so fearful that they may have a person who experiences regret. Like, let's say that's one percent of the population that they, they have or, you know, I'm just making this statistic up. But but then they can't help the other people right at all. They just put it up as a barrier and say, like, I'm too worried about regret being a feature here that I can't provide this kind of life saving care that all of these other people in front of me need. We I mean, we've we've had so many conversations. COVID prompted so many of these conversations about about this this relationship between politics and medicine, uh, in particular in policy. And uh, I, mean, I mean, gosh, we could talk about this for hours. You've been operating in Ontario, uh, which has had liberal and conservative governments over the past number of years in Alberta right now, uh, about the most conservative government that we've seen uh, in decades. You're bringing your clinic to Alberta. 
Um, do you expect uh, unique challenges, uh, whether it's securing funding, whether it's uh, maintaining access to your clinic? Is it, I guess what I'm asking is, do you expect it to be different operating in Alberta? Yeah, absolutely. Like every province is so specific in the kind of care that they have when we're coming in. And we've been working really hard with Boria to understand the provincial context that we're walking into. Um, so um, we've been doing interviews with people who are providing gender affirming care in Alberta. We've been doing interviews with people who are community members, who work with community organizations um, to try to get an understanding you know, maybe not so much of the political climate, though we do certainly hear about that too, but kind of an understanding of the medical climate too and what the approach is uh, through the health system um, and where the gaps are. And it is unique, right, compared to a uh, province that I know very well, Ontario, having worked here most of my career. Um, there's a lot of learning for me and what the differences are. I actually really enjoy this challenge of kind of learning what each province has to offer and what um, what the strengths and the weaknesses are of each system. And I actually think for me, it's helping me understand what our country's sort of perspective is. And I'm, you know, continuing to learn about how other provinces view gender affirming care, things they do fund and what things they don't. And we're all unique. Each province is unique. And I think that's a challenge, right? Because I, if you're looking at um, people being able to freely move across Canada in terms of their nationality and being able to settle in different provinces and different cities. Um, we actually don't have healthcare that's the same uh, in each province. And so as a person um, receiving gender affirming care, that's really relevant. I've had patients move from province to province, whether it's like, you know, Ontario to Alberta or Ontario to Maritimes, and then realize once they got there that they really just don't have access to the same services they assumed they would because we're within the same country. Doctor, if you were, uh, let's say you're like the executive producer of The National, um, and, you're, and you're writing the lead for Adrian Arsenault tonight, um, and, and you're going to take the opportunity to, uh, to, to educate Canadians or to further a conversation, or let's say to refocus a conversation on gender-affirming mm -hmm. care. What's, what's one thing, like you've got the ear of our audience uh, right now, what's one thing that you wish people realized or would focus on, or what's a question uh, that you would have people ask their friends as they're having conversation about this subject? I think I've touched on it already, but I, one of the things I'm always trying to relate to people is that gender affirming care, um, whether it is psychologically affirming, medically affirming, surgically affirming, is life-saving. That it can take someone from being in a position of great distress and you mentioned suicidality to a place of living to their full potential and living their lives. That is why I do this, because it is such a rewarding career. Um, and I think the other thing to think about nationally, so for the national, is that we have a really inequitable distribution in this country of, of services, of gender-affirming services. And that, I mean, that's what I want to work on. That is, my, that is my goal, to help build capacity and make it more equitable. I uh, got a comment here from uh, M.A. who says, I've worked with young people that have uh, attempted suicide uh, because they have gender dysphoria. They need support, not criticism. Um, 
we got a whole bunch of people making very interesting points and interesting comments. I wanted to fact check this with you. Akat says uh, puberty blocking medications have been prescribed for years uh, for various medical conditions, but people want to ban them now that they're being prescribed to trans kids. Is that accurate? That we've been using them for years? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, they're called DNRH. Uh, analogs and they've been part of medical practice, you know, for as long as I've been in medical practice for various conditions. Um, and they've actually been an accepted part of gender affirming care for a long time as well at this point. Doctor, is there anything I know you, you like you've taken a break from your clinic to talk to us today, which we really appreciate. You need to get back to your patients. Is there anything I've not asked you about or is there anything you wanted to mention before we wrap and thank you for your time? You know, I think you've asked some amazing questions and I really appreciate the opportunity, but I, you know, I do want to kind of um, remind people, I guess, that uh, we are in this state of choosing whether we can create more fear and discrimination or choosing to help people live fulfilled lives and that we have, uh, we have places where we can really improve the equity and all of us can, right? Really, everyone can be involved in just improving you know, employment opportunities, social opportunities, and medical opportunities um, for people who are seeking gender-affirming care. That's uh, Dr. Kate Greenaway. Uh, you can learn more about what she does in the clinic. Uh, when, when are you opening in Alberta, by the way? So we are open for bookings now. Oh. Our, on our website, it's live. You can go and you can book uh, to see one of our clinicians uh, in Alberta. Okay, that's uh, foriaclinic.com. We'll put it in the show notes. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep, you bet. Uh, Dr. Kate Greenaway. You and I knew, Johnny, that this was going to be an interesting conversation, number one, because I, I think every single human that's mm -hmm. maybe not trans or not non-binary or is not a medical professional working in the field probably has something to learn about it. Of course. Um, and I wasn't surprised to see some people critical immediately right out of the gates that we were having the conversation, mm -hmm. uh, which is okay, too. I saw somebody leave a comment that said, this is garbage, delete this show. Well, no. Right off I the mean, bat. <laughs> yeah, right, like right out of the gates. I don't want to hear anything. Uh, yeah, well, you don't have to. That's the good news. Go ahead. Um, but uh, I think that this is something that, that we all need to learn more about and understand. This isn't a, a show where we, like, preach and shove things down your throat, but... But there's a lot of people that sort of purport to be experts on this or have oh. very strong opinions about this. Thank you this for saying that. That may not know a lot about it. Thank you for saying that. Why does everyone think they know what it, when when we know it's such a small portion of the population who deal with this, you know, gender identity, reaffirming surgery, going through these issues, trying to figure out who they are in life. But everyone else knows exactly what it's like. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And I, I see I see the comments going off in the live chat, you know, and try not to get involved in stuff, but, and, and people are, people for the most part are being polite and, and, and trying to go back and forth on the issue. And, and, you know, there's the main thing I want to point out is, you know, people, you brought it up as well. The, the suicide rates or whatever. We just don't have enough data. Yeah. I've looked, I looked all day yesterday ahead of this show. There is not enough data. And the data we do have is from like 30, 40, 50 years ago, obviously gender, gender, gender identity and reaffirming, services have come an yeah. exponential way since then so anyone saying they know that you know people post-op uh you know there's higher suicide rates it's bs there's there's no confirming data that says that so. ma follows up in the chat uh who had let us know that they'd, they'd worked with people uh tragically that had attempted suicide uh, related to this and says even those of us working in the field uh always have something to learn uh, mm -hmm. that that to me is kind of the 
that's kind of the spirit that we hope that everybody approaches this show with. Uh, we'll learn about all kinds of things and not in a way that's condescending, like, oh, we're going to teach you by listening to the show. No, we're learning but by hearing too. different perspectives, <laughs> right? We learn too all the time. I'm curious about it. And I appreciate Dr. Greenaway coming on to talk about it and take some questions and, and actually lay some facts on us after working in the field for 20 years. You can let us know what you think about this. Uh, if, if you're not in the live chat, I mean, the majority of you, 95% of you or more are going to listen to this later. And uh, you know where you can find us. You can hit us up on social media. You'll find us at Real Talk RJ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Johnny's killing it for us on TikTok. And you can also send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Jennifer Laywetz. She was at the conservative convention uh, where that uh, resolution went down. That's not why we're bringing her on to talk about it. I want to talk to her about her experience and why she was there and how she feels about the direction of the party. But I'm sure that will come up uh, that in just a second. But wanted to let you know that these conversations on Real Talk are presented by sponsors like our friends at Kubi Energy, and I'm always telling you, you got to follow Kubi on Instagram. Speaking of learning something, I learn more about solar every single time I check out their Instagram account. Well, check this out. They've just posted new photos. These are stunning. Uh, Kubi worked on a brand new fire hall here in Edmonton. It's Windermere Fire Station 31, the cleanest. It, can a solar install be sexy? I think so. <laughs> this is the sexiest solar install that I've ever seen. How cool is this? They work sleek. With, it's very sleek. Complete power solutions and PCL construction. This is the city of Edmonton's first ever net zero building. How cool is that? 382 solar panels used on the slanted roof of that building. It's intended to furnish sustainable energy for these firefighters who, of course, risk their lives for our safety. You can check it out by following Kubi at Kubi Energy on Instagram, and you can get a free solar quote today by checking out kubienergy.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that they've got the best chicken in the game, and it's not even close. When's the last time you popped into a Dairy Queen in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road in Sherwood Park and checked out their sauced and tossed honey garlic chicken strip basket? This is amazing. Their saucing technique means that you get mouth-watering goodness in every single bite. It's a great way to appease your honey garlic craving. They take their 100% seasoned all-white meat chicken strips. They add their sweet and savory honey garlic sauce. And then, of course, that flavor, a fine balance of honey, sticky sweetness, and aromatic garlic. It's a distinct but mild taste. You can find it at the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you're craving beef, well, the all-beef roundup, this is the, I mean, the beef roundup at Friesen Brothers, the Alberta Beef Roundup, this is like an annual tradition, but you, I mean, the history here is amazing. This has been maintained since 1955 at Friesen Brothers, and this year it returns with two different options, a custom-cut whole hip, it's like 65, 70 pounds, cut however you want it, and then they also have a 50-pound freezer pack featuring the finest Alberta beef. Their skilled Friesen Brothers butchers handle all the cutting and wrapping in store just the way your family likes it. And this event only goes for two weeks, so you can check it out today. Make sure you don't miss out at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Also wanted to give a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. You know, we're so proud to operate out of this studio. They're the ones that built it. And when they came in, there were some issues. There's a water leak that was creating a, an issue down the wall. Obviously, it won't work for our electronics. The building's more than 100 years old, so there were very few straight lines. Watching their team navigate it all with 
Extreme Professionalism gave us the confidence that we need to recommend them with two thumbs up. If you're working on a construction or renovation project, my recommendation to you is to give Complete Care Restoration a call. 780-454-0776. We know a lot of people, uh, as, as sort of the return to work things are happening, as, as, the, as those COVID impacts continue to, to show themselves, people are converting office space into apartments or condos into apartments or vice versa. Whatever it is, Complete Care Restoration's got you covered with their team of certified professionals. You can learn more about them at completecarerestoration.ca. I always love when somebody's making their debut on the show, and uh, that mm-hmm. is the case right now. Uh, I've been uh, enjoying Jennifer Laywetz's Twitter for years now. Uh, her insights, uh, her, her confidence with her political opinions, she's wildly entertaining and insightful as well. Uh, she's a member of George Gordon First Nation. She's a policy analyst and a communications professional hailing from northern Saskatchewan. She's a graduate in political studies from the University of Saskatchewan, where she also sat as a member on anti-racism and anti-oppression committees. Uh, she's currently a graduate and postdoctoral studies student at the U of S. Uh, she's worked in federal politics for five years and has done a ton of work in the private sector as well. And she was in Quebec City this weekend at the Conservative Party of Canada's convention. She joins us live this morning. It's so nice to talk to you. Thanks for making time for us. Good morning. Uh, I love this. For, for the benefit of people listening on the podcast, you've, you've got a framed uh, sun front page uh, about Diefenbaker's last train ride. Uh, I always want to ask people about their backgrounds. Tell us about that one. Well, I live in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, which is the home of John Diefenbaker and huge Diefenbaker fan, granted First Nations the right to vote without losing their status. And my grandpa used to fix his office machines. So it all just kind of comes together. Oh, you're kidding me. You know, I got my uh, broadcasting start in Prince Albert at the the CTV bureau there out of Saskatoon. Yeah, that's... That, yeah, that building I don't even think is occupied anymore. I don't know. Don Mitchell, who was the anchor there for a lot of years, was just I saw just over the weekend inducted into the the Saskatchewan Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So yeah, that, that's kind of a kind of a yeah. neat story there. So Diefenbaker was he was he your your inspiration? You're you're obviously very engaged politically. He, he was the one that kind of planted the seed. Would you say his legacy at least? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, huge, huge Diefenbaker fan. It's hard not to be. It's Diefenbaker everything around here. The statues. We have all the Diefenbaker Drive. We have the Diefenbaker House. We have Diefenbaker Statue in front of City Hall. Like it's very Diefenbaker esque around here. So yeah, well, that's what happens when 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 the local you know the the local celebrity becomes the prime minister, then everybody gets excited about it, right? So well, you were at uh, you were in Quebec City this weekend. Why was it important for you to be out there? Why did you want to be there in person? I you know what in 2018 there was a convention and I did not feel like well connected enough. I at the time was taking or I was just getting into starting graduate studies and I really wanted to get involved in politics but didn't know how. I come from a very very conservative riding. Um a lot of people obviously interested in being involved in conservative politics out here because of the MP winning with 68% of the vote. Um and then over the last, I would say, year, that shift of like, okay, there's a real potential that the conservatives are going to win government. That's just the reality of election cycles. So I was like, this is my opportunity. I want to get involved. I want to help write policy, Indigenous policy. I want to be there to vote. So I want to be there to debate. And that's exactly what I did. So 
Did you see what you needed to see out there this weekend? I mean, there's, there's a few things I want to ask you about them that are getting all the headlines, but there's a lot that's not being talked about. What jumped out at you? Um, a lot, actually. I did a media interview while I was there, and one of the first things the guy asked me was, what's the first thing that jumped out for you when you arrived here? And I said, the amount of young people here. And as I was saying that, it was like a group of young people right in front of me walked by. And I'm not like in my 20s by any means, but there were lots of young people. And I was shocked to see so many young people engaged at a grassroots level like that. Had you been to previous conventions? No, this was my first one. Okay, so you have nothing to compare it to. But but, but it no. is, it, it's fair to say that, I mean, sometimes, and, and most political parties do it, you know, you hear stories of like, you know, young delegates being bussed in and promised free pizza and things like that because they want to have that young energy in the room. But it's fair to say that at the majority of political conventions that the crowd is a little bit older. So, so what do you read into the fact that there's a bunch of people there in their 20s? What does that say to you? That they're... There was involvement wanted like they these people wanted to get involved and i ended up having dinner my second last night there with a group of like 15 different people where we all just got involved ourselves like no one asked us to come no one you know was trying to entice us to be there it was just a bunch of people that just wanted to be involved there's uh i was talking to charles adler about this on monday and it was like everybody kind of knows well not everybody knows everybody thinks they know uh what pierre polyev needs to do to win the next election and a big part of that is to hammer the liberals on affordability and in particular on housing affordability and i think polyev and his team knows that because that's basically all he's been talking about for the for the better part of the last six months however uh that wasn't what delegates it wasn't what members i should say wanted to talk about at the convention they wanted to talk about uh, gender affirmation surgery like we just talked about on the show they want to talk about trans women in, in women's bathrooms how did you feel about that you were in the room good question i actually had a couple friends reach out to me asking me how i voted on those things mm. and would you tell us um you're, it's going to be a really long story but i actually wasn't in the room because i ran to the pharmacy and i ended up telling one of my friends that and i missed it and i was sad about missing it because i missed the important debate and i still haven't watched cpac back to see some of the big things that were said um, one of the things I will say is people mobilize very, very well. And I recognize that now having tried to in introduce two indigenous policies, I had a ton of support. People were so, so helpful, but people mobilize and they mobilize quickly. And it's like monopoly, like everyone's trading off support for each other with other EDAs. And they're like, if you give me support, I'll give you support. And I was in way over my head. I'm like, I had no idea this is how it worked. So my two policies, unfortunately, didn't make it that far. Um, but I will say there's grassroots policy stuff at convention, and then there's what MPs are doing on the ground right now behind closed doors. And I had a chance to catch up with MP Gary Vidal there. He's one of the shadow Indigenous ministers, and I know that he's working really hard behind closed doors on Indigenous stuff right now as well. So there's the grassroots stuff, but then there's also what the party is doing behind closed doors as well. Uh, I definitely am going to ask you about the Indigenous policies you want to see implemented, but let, let me circle back on the other stuff. Do you, do you Are you concerned that as as the national news cycle works i mean it's one thing you know a convention can like fire up the base and motivate people and do a lot of great things so, you know i see that the, the conservatives are holding another rally uh, already they're, they're holding rallies post convention i mean you want to capitalize on that as much as you can but a lot of the national conversation 
outside of the convention is like the conservatives are obsessing over trans women in women's bathrooms. They're obsessing over youth, you know, receive trans youth in surgery. Um, are you concerned that it gives the party a bad reputation or that it caps the party's potential? Like, how do you personally feel about it? You know, I think that no matter what happens at the grassroots level, the party is going to wear it either way. I know Pierre Polyev was in the media, I think, a week before convention saying, well, I'm not bound by grassroots policy, which I think upset a lot of grassroots policy people. Always does. Um, and I, you know what, I just, yeah, I have my I have my opinions on where I'm at. I come in on the fiscal end of things. I have my own views. And, and that's the tough thing is people kind of mock the it's a big party tent type of thing. It really is. Like when you're in that room on numerous different issues, you hear rebuttals on one side, you hear people for it on another, and you're like, holy smokes, there's people on two different ends of the spectrum on one issue, which is crazy. But I feel like that's how you find middle ground is you have to say, okay, well, how, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? Or why is it the way you're feeling the way you're feeling? But I also noticed that some of the policies, they were hard to support because of the wording in them. Like there was one on vaccine mandates, for example. And by the time, like I'm a policy person, by the time I got through it, I'm like, okay, wait, this policy is talking about numerous different things. It's talking about vaccine mandates. It's talking about procurement. And it's also talking about international standards. I'm like, right. I can support procurement, but why are we talking about vaccine mandates in the same policy? Like it was all over the map. So yeah, that's a fair comment. And, and I think that vaccine mandates right now, I might question the relevance, whereas procurement is potentially more relevant, especially if you're talking about vaccines outside of COVID-19, as an example, who on, on the whole, like, you know, policy grassroots thing. I mean, who will ever forget Jason Kenney's comment, right? He goes, remember, he said, I hold the pencil after one of the UCP conventions where a lot of people were asking the same questions I'm asking you. And he said, I hold the pencil. And I know that that pissed a lot of people off. But that's a fact. It's truth. It doesn't take away from the importance of a convention, but I think it also reminds people that that there's there's like a certain level to which the influence of the grassroots extends. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Would you talk to us about some of the indigenous policies that you're uh, hoping to see implemented, or what's in particular, more specifically, what's most important to you and why? Yeah, one of the biggest things for me was duty to consult. I wrote co-wrote a policy with Foothills EDA, had a ton of support. Um, Pierre Polyev was on record last year coming out with um, revenue resource sharing for resource development, which is fantastic. Um, some Indigenous people are for resource development, some are not. However, we need to ensure that there is a proper duty to consult no matter where you are on the spectrum on that. And we seen with the Sask First Act in Saskatchewan, FSIN came out pretty hard against the Saskatchewan government for not consulting properly. And I was like, you know what? What 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 kickstarted I don't know more. What was one of the downfalls with Harper with Indigenous people? It was the Jobs and Growth Act, and it was not consulting properly with Indigenous people. If we come up with a good policy that includes consultation, this bridges that gap. So that was for me the biggest thing that I wanted to see. Yeah, I think that the country would benefit from more of a conversation on that. Like there are there are going to be, and this is like the most obvious thing I'll say all day, uh, but there will be some proposed energy projects in particular uh, that are non-starters for some First Nations, but but there are others, I think, that that have potential. I mean, in some opportunities, like we've had uh, former 
uh, Enoch uh, chief Billy Morin on the show several times. And he's I mean, he's very bullish on energy expansion, uh, as are others. And uh, and I think that, you know, th- there's room for conversation there um, and a real opportunity for revenue and shared ownership as well or, or outright ownership as well. Um, was there another one? Uh, you mentioned a couple. Was there one more that you were focused on or was that the big one? That, that was the big one. Uh, the other one was kind of around the same things, but just a little bit of different wording. Um, and then last time, uh, last convention, I didn't go and wasn't really involved at a higher scale. But I worked with Desnae Metz and Churchill EDA to try to just overhaul the Indigenous policy um, in the policy directive of the party as well. I just want to like redo the whole thing. Found out the hard way that you can't just like erase a whole section. Because I was like, let me just come in and like fix it because it needs to be fixed. But yeah, so that's that was the biggest one. Uh, someone uh, asked, uh, what's an EDA? It's Electoral District Association, right? We call them like provincially, yeah. like constituency associations, same deal. So it's like people representing that district. You know, their RMP is this person and this is, is who we're representing kind of a thing. Uh, what do yeah. you make of the uh, what do you make of the the Polyevry brand? He he uh, he delivered quite a speech. Um, you know, he's he's sharp with his tongue. I'm I'm already looking forward to if Trudeau runs again, which he probably will. I can't wait for the debates uh, between Trudeau and Polyev because I think this is going to be unbelievable TV. Uh, but, yeah, he's lost the glasses. He's using a little less product in his hair. He's wearing the T-shirts instead of the suits. Sometimes you think it's landing the way that they're planning it to land. I th- honestly, I think so, because it's like. The first time I met him, he was wearing a suit and like we took hands and it was kind of a little bit weird because he was like, let's take a photo like this. And I'm like, oh, this is so cringe. Um, But then when I saw him in the airport, I was like, wow, like you really toned it down. He seemed much more relaxed, just kind of a little bit more cool, which he needed to do. Like he needed to tone it down because politicians are already at a, you know, a certain level of like cringe. I'm just going to say it. They are. They're politicians with their suits and stuff. Um, so he, yeah, and Justin Trudeau is came out the gate swinging in 2015 with being cool amongst mm-hmm. the young people. So yeah, yeah. What's one thing that you wish more people were talking about with the Conservative Party? Like you think that here on the prairies, it's 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 kind of like basically. I don't know. Quite frankly, I think that 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 provincial and federal political parties kind of take their support for granted. I don't see a lot of uh, federally speaking. You don't see a lot of like olive branches from the political party, conservative parties or politicians for the prairies because they know they're going to win those districts. They know they're going to win those ridings. But what's one uh, issue or one thing you think you wish that there was more focus on aside from your resolution uh, in the prairie provinces when it comes to conservative politics, even among your fellow conservatives where would you like to take the conversation what's one thing you think people need to be talking about more um i think we need to start focusing a little bit more on Ooh, that's a tough one i really think that like we have such a strong voter base in saskatchewan and one thing i really really wish people would pay attention to is nominations out here because one of the things about conservative nominations is that When you have an MP, like we have Saskatchewan MPs that are winning with over 70% of the vote. So the election itself isn't what matters. It's the nomination. And there are far too many people not paying attention to nominations, but they pay attention to the election. So if you're not paying attention to a nomination, someone is coming in, winning that nomination, and they are almost guaranteed to win that election. So that is one thing in these stronghold writings that I wish people would pay more attention to. 
Love it. Uh, Jennifer, I know you got you got lots to do. We appreciate you taking uh, time out of your morning to talk to us. We wanted to make sure that we checked in with somebody that had a, a vested interest uh, in that convention. And you fit the bill. In closing, I wanted to ask you, Johnny, am I putting you on the spot? Can we can we tee up the Polyev, uh, the pilots? Well, he's not the pilot. You know what I'm talking about. On the, the spot. The, this the is address. my favorite video am, of the week. I, this is Johnny's favorite <laughs> video of the week. And Jennifer, hang up before we play. you were on the plane, right? Yes. Yeah, you were on the plane. Okay, so do we have it? We're ready to rock. So here, here's Polyev on the WestJet flight just a couple days ago. No, not no. That's the aliens that they showed off in Mexico. We're going to show One that sec. later. Jennifer, have you seen this story? There's alien corpses that they're showing off in Mexico. Have you seen this story today? This is why. No. Google. I know that I'm blindsiding you with that subject. <laughs> okay, we're ready. You're, you're like, wait, what? Uh, Google it after you talk to us, or just stay on the line. Just stay tuned in. Okay, so here's Pierre Polyev on the WestJet plane. <laughs> Who's ready for a home you can afford? Who's ready for some common sense? Who's ready to give a big thank you to the WestJet pilots and crew? This is your captain warning, a little bit of turbulence, but it will only last about two years. So you had, you had you had like his his opponents, his critics saying like this is this is bullshit, like he shouldn't be allowed to do this. And then you had his cheerleaders being like, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, what was it? Was it a, was it a was it a flight packed full of of convention delegates? Is that what it was? Yeah, but it was like it, the whole thing is very strange because this kickstarted a whole thing. Like people are saying I work for the party. I'm one of Pierce people. Not the case at all. Um what had ended up happening was there was only Air Canada flights available and the Air Canada flight out of Quebec City to Western Canada was like super, super early in the morning. One of my fellow delegates ended up getting on it. I was even debating going to convention because I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, we got an email saying WestJet opened up a new flight because they're out of service this time of year to Western Canada. So I was like, OK, so I just like went to the WestJet website, booked my flight, thought nothing of it, couldn't didn't want to spend the money to sit in premium. So grabbed my economy seat in row nine and was like, whatever, went to the airport that day, dead tired, had some lunch, went to my gate and I saw someone that looked like Pierre's mom. And I'm like, I looked at my fellow delegate. I'm like, is that Pierre's mom? Like, and I looked and I'm like, yeah, she's wearing one of the common sense shirts. That's Pierre's mom. No one was bugging her. No one said anything. And then everyone was already kind of boarding the plane and he showed up. I'm like, oh my God, that's Pierre. So I went up to his handler. I'm like, can I take a photo? And they were like, yeah, sure. Some delegates were approaching him. Some were just standing in line because they wanted to fight for overhead bin space. Um, but if there was anyone on the plane that wasn't a delegate, I kind of would be a little bit surprised because that flight was only booked, like it was only there for really delegates. Like anyone could have booked, it was public on WestJet's website, but they don't have service this time of year. So Okay, so anyone could have been on the flight, but for the most part, it was delegates from the convention. Yeah, like we were all going like to Calgary and then connected from there. I connected to Saskatoon. But yeah, you could I just went right on the WestJet website and booked my booked my flight. I had no indication whatsoever Pierre was going to be on it. There you have it. Uh, you can follow Jennifer Lewitz on Twitter. Just ch check out. Uh, uh, well, it's Jennifer L underscore. Right. Uh, or you can, of course, link to the Real Talk tweet uh, where we let you know the guests that are going to be on the show 
before we go live each and every morning. Hell of a job in your debut. Thanks for making time for us. We appreciate it. Thank you. See you. Yeah, you bet. So there you have it. Three different angles on the conservative convention. Charles Adler on Monday from the pundit side. Uh, We talked to uh, the Hurley Burley host, David Hurley, yesterday. Uh, I really enjoyed that. By the way, we didn't tell Hurley we were going to keep him for an hour. That was amazing, actually. But we yeah. did. So, so this, so Hurley has been uh, was campaign strategy. He was senior campaign strategist for former Prime Minister Paul Martin mm-hmm. and for Premier Kathleen Wynne in Ontario. So mm-hmm. we we talked to him about his impressions of Polyev and the Conservative Convention. But then we asked him if you were still quarterbacking the Liberal campaign because mm-hmm. he has done it. Uh, he's won a federal election. How would you save Trudeau's chances? Yeah. And we got into that yesterday, and I thought that was an awesome conversation. And then Jennifer Laywitz, a conservative delegate today. So three different angles on the story. The Hurley Burley was awesome. He kind of took us on a like time machine ride. He went back to Pierre's days yeah. and then just Pierre ki- Trudeau, yeah, kind of gave yeah. us like kind of the thinking behind a, a prime minister and what like a lot of us think like, hey, when the writing's on the wall, why don't people resign all the time? Yeah. And he kind of gave us like the behind the scenes, like nobody ever wants nobody ever wants to give up that job yeah you no talked matter about who they are no matter if they say it or not they want to stay there for as long as they can brian mulrooney kind of killing kim campbell's chances yeah he talked about pierre trudeau's plea to the canadian people to keep him on even after he, he said Joe i was Clark. gonna quit he talked about yeah. Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of of people i thought that was great insight mm-hmm. but someone did fact check uh his lord of the rings <laughs> metaphor Somebody did. I appreciate it. A real talker uh, in the YouTube comments. Because somebody did give up the ring. Yeah, he said, actually, this person I knew said that too, several it, people have yeah, given up the ring. Samwise gave up the yeah. ring. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. anyway, I can't, I'm already out of my depth. Mm-hmm. I don't know Lord of the Rings that well. So um, can we, we'll talk about this alien, these alien corpses. We, I've been we waiting for now this. Now, we didn't lead with, I know, we wanted to lead with this today, but we thought there was maybe more serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless this is the biggest news story in 100 well, years. we can't decide. We'll, we're we'll going to get to it in just a second. But first... Every single Wednesday, thanks to our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have a chance to head out to the mountains. And not just that, we have a chance to remind you of some of the really neat stuff that's happening out in Jasper National Park so you can start making your plans. It's a tradition we call My Jasper Memories. And we wanted to let you know how excited we are that the Jasper Dark Sky Festival has officially added a third weekend with festivities now taking place from October 12th through to the 29th, almost, I mean, the better part of the month. So for 17 days in October, we invite you to power down and look up. Key events from the third weekend are going to include the Miet Ghost Town and Galaxies Cosmos and Cocktails, as well as the Jasper Dark Sky Spaceball. Uh, that Jasper Dark Sky Spaceball will cap off the festival with a night of side-splitting fun Pack away your telescopes, unbutton your lab coats, and put on your best sci-fi-inspired costume for this brand new event. Uh, It's hosted in the stunning ballroom at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. I was just there a couple of weekends ago. There's no other ballroom like it. Uh, The night will kick off with appetizers and drinks, and then local professional actors will hit the stage with some thematic improv before you sit back and disappear a bucket of popcorn while watching the classic comedy Spaceballs with some interactive twists. And then finally, (laughs) that is such a good movie. I need to go back and watch that movie. Uh, Finally, you have a chance to grab a midnight lunch and dance the night away. Now, this is an 18-plus event, and so they will be checking IDs at the door. 
But, uh, I mean, honestly, you don't want to miss this. Also, don't forget, they've got their fan favorites through the first two weekends. Again, it's October 12th through the 29th. The first two weekends, they've got Symphony Under the Stars, which is amazing, featuring the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. They've got a drone light show. This is like the future of light shows. A drone light show. Mm -hmm. So cool. They've got Science for Breakfast, uh, Simon, and many more events. You can learn all about it, including buying your tickets for the Spaceball and more great events by visiting jasperdarksky.travel. That's jasperdarksky.travel. My Jasper Memories is presented proudly every Wednesday on Real Talk by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Okay. Now is your time. Aliens. So what's going on? This is down in Mexico. I thought you were pulling my leg. Uh, right. Johnny and I, we so have like our is... production meeting when we show up in the morning. And you said, are we going to talk about the alien corpses? And I went, huh? Mexican aliens. I went, huh? Okay, so what is it? First of all, there's so many things. Like, So I Googled Mexican aliens. And you can imagine what came up on Twitter. If you Google Mexican aliens, it was a bunch of uh, crazy stuff. But anyways, uh, basically alien corpses and in every article that i've seen it's been in quotations alien corpses in quotations okay so not fully proven we're but talking about extraterrestrials yes allegedly we're talking about bodies alleged. that yeah. are are said to be a thousand years old were shown to congress uh a ufo expert they actually call them ufologists now, yeah ufologists uh was forced to testify apparently under oath and then all of a sudden he wanted to prove his point so he brought out alien corpses okay actual which he said are a thousand years old. Here they are. Okay, we're showing them on YouTube. If you're listening They've on the been, podcast, uh, you might want to tee up the YouTube episode so look, you can see this. They look, I mean, I don't know. I've never seen an alien, so I don't know if they're realistic, but they do kind of look like mini ETs. Like yeah. once they do the close-ups. They're very slight. They're like they're, they're like the size of like a, I don't know, a large house cat. So apparently these were retrieved in somewhere in Peru. I'd say toddler size. Somewhere in Peru in the jungle. In Cusco. Uh, yeah. Which Cusco. is the, which is Cusco is one of the oldest cities in civilization. It's, yeah. it's like the gateway to Machu Picchu basically, ish. And they were presented in these these windowed glass cases in Mexico City. This was this was uh, uh, early this morning. I guess, stirring excitement with the UFO community. It's all over Twitter. The event was spearheaded by this journalist. We talked about him, Jamie Musan, and uh, he's testified under oath that these mummified specimens are not are not part of our extraterrestrial our terrestrial evolution. Sorry, we might need to put journalist in quotes with almost a third of their DNA remaining unknown. But because this guy has, uh, if, if you if you Google his name, in, yeah. if you Google his name. Um, he's a self-proclaimed ufologist, and they say that he has been previously associated with claims of discoveries that have later been debunked. Yes. So that's relevant. Mm -hmm. um, but this is this is pretty phenomenal. Did we did we can I I'm, I've got a photo on my screen here. Can we show like the faces it, it here? Does of these look guys? like, like, like it also <laughs> it also kind of looks like it's made out of sand. <laughs> it like, looks a little bit like something you might make on the beach with your kids. Here's the thing. If this is fake, whoever was designing it, making it like, like, were they like, okay, the only alien I know is E.T. Let's make it look like that. Or were they like, hey, they would never think that we would make a fake UFO that looks like E.T. So let's go with that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. But it's all, all over the net today. And of course, the, the UFO, um, 
you know, the supporters, the people who are the, the, hoping that uh, these these little ships come down and save us are are all up in arms today, and they're, they're loving it. I felt like you were choosing your words very carefully there, where you were I like, was. You, you were like the UFO um, 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 supporters. Yeah, I don't even it? think we say UFOs now. We say we, there's another three letter yes, terminology that we yeah, use yeah. because there's so much of it going on in the sky now, and we see so much of it. But uh, so does a story like this uh, <laughs> sort of strengthen your <laughs> your um, fledgling belief that there may be you because know, you and I had this conversation before yes. I I, I absolutely like I don't know if people these are coming are real. up to me at weddings now and events and being like because you talked about it so uh, you don't think uh, aliens are real <laughs> and I'm like that's not what I said what I do think uh, is that you know speed of light and time travel I, I just don't think any life intelligent enough to get here is close enough to get here well, they like don't know it, that we're here. Do or watch, we don't know that they're there. Exactly. Or there, there's got to be. There's, there's, I think it's. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, think it's improbable. There's Not no impossible. way. There's no way that that Earth is the only planet in the galaxy with with intelligent life. There's, Maybe our galaxy. No Maybe way. Not the universe. In the universe, galaxy. Okay, right. I like we can my... see pretty far out of our galaxy, and we've never seen any sign of life. Well, what do you mean? We don't. Other know that. than you have to like, visit intelligent. You have to touch down. You have to visit. You can't look through the, well, not the Hubble. What's the new one? There's like the new one that's mm-hmm. even cooler than the, but here's the, thing. the Hubble's like old news now. But all we can see is that they that the other planets or the other stars are there. Yeah, but we can't see people walking around. All these satellites that can see asteroids and all these things approaching Earth. We, we've never seen one of these, these uh, crazy uh, flying entities. We've never caught it coming to Earth, but we've apparently found them on earth it just kind of like yeah. boggles my mind yeah. but they, so they say that they, they were able to draw dna evidence from yeah. from these corpses it's such a weird word corpse it's such a hardcore word uh found that over 30 percent of the specimen's dna was unknown and they say that and, and this is uh he's testifying under oath to mexican congress uh says that one of the bodies was seen to have eggs, the eggs yeah. inside <laughs> While both had implants, oh I don't know why we're laughing. Both had implants of very rare metals like osmium. Uh, I don't even know what osmium is, but uh, you, you remember this? We talked earlier in the year about Ryan Graves, who was the uh, he's from uh, Americans for Safe Aerospace. He's the executive director there, and he's a former U.S. Navy pilot. Mm-hmm. And remember, he's the one that testified to U.S. Congress. This story is to Mexican Congress. Uh, Graves testified to U.S. Congress, uh, talking about the threat. Th- and this is uh, UAPs, Johnny, yeah, unidentified UAPs. aerial phenomena. Yeah. And he says that they pose a threat to U.S. national security. Mm-hmm. So and he was he wasn't talking about bodies so much as just all the UAPs that they have on record as seeing seen them on radar. They've got photos. Some people have video. Yeah. Uh, Osmium is kind of like platinum, by the way. Ken is. Is it really? Yeah. Did you know that or did you Google that? I just Googled it. Okay. Uh, Ken uh, (laughs) says uh, he's got a great business idea. He says beach pails that have an alien face on the bottom so you could make aliens (laughs) in the sand, which I think is amazing. And Ryan Bolin, who's tuned in, gets two points today. Ryan gets two points for correctly uh, identifying it is the James Webb Space Telescope. That's Mm -hmm. the new one. So the Hubble is kind of like old news and the James Webb Mm -hmm. Space Telescope is the one that's absolutely blowing our minds. And I'm a space nerd. I love dude. I was watching I took a cab today because the my wife and I share in a car right now she took the car today she had some points I'm watching interstellar on my phone on the way to work today what like I'm just obsessed with like space and you know the time continuum and everything to do with it because it's so hard to understand like black holes and the speed of light 
Like it's hard to comprehend. And I think people, they try to simplify it. Like, yeah, an alien can just jump in a ship and, and rip over here. It's, it's not that simple, right? Uh, call in with a, hang on a second. You're in a cab with your wife. No, I'm and, in a cab oh, by myself. By yourself. I my you wife like has taken it. the you're car. Like just ignoring no. her and watching and a I'm movie. And I'm just on my phone with um, my pods in. Attaboy. Colin with a K says, there's enough, uh, he says, weirdly enough, serious government talk about aliens now that I can't help but think that there might be something to it, which is fair. Uh, Justin says, it's a mathematical or statistical certainty that there is intelligent life out there somewhere. Justin, I totally agree. Uh, he says the universe is just too vast, but the odds mm-hmm. that they found us or that we've been visited, I'm not so sure about that. Boom. Uh, I, I feel like I agree on point A and I agree on point B. Uh, so there you go. Um, you can let us know what you think. Oh, and I should give Plain Power two points as well. So Plain Power, Ryan Bullen, both earning two points today. Plain Power correctly identified UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now we get to choose which Real Talk partner wants to align themselves with talk about UFOs. <laughs> Is it Apex Automation? I think it is. We don't know if these unidentified, we don't know if these aerial phenomenon are being piloted by living beings or if they're automated. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. Engineers were involved. Engineers were involved either way. And if they were automated, if the people that developed the technology had any brains at all, they would hire Apex Automation to do that automating. And right now, Apex wants us to let you know if you're a professional engineer and electrician or if you're somebody that has a a real burning desire to work in the future of industry and automation in Industry 4.0, they want to hear from you. They're hiring professional engineers right now uh, to work across Western Canada, down in the United States as well as they continue to grow their footprint. They're Canada's fastest growing automation firm and they're hiring right now. If you're interested in working in agriculture, in mining, in the energy economy, in brewing, heck, they're doing it all, including autonomous vehicles, control systems. It's a fascinating line of work. This is how you could really truly reach your career potential. Take two seconds today to check out apexautomation.ca. How many of you attended that inflation cafe yesterday? Pretty interesting initiative that was hosted by Civic Service Union 52. They're getting the word out about how the cost of living, uh, I mean, I know you know this already, your own household's probably probably navigating some unique challenges right now. The cost of living is up unbelievably over the last five years. You can check out more on this by visiting edmontonforeveryone.ca. That's hosted by CSU52. But for the last five years, their wages uh, for 83% of their members have been frozen. So taking into account inflation, it's actually a pay cut. Uh, The cost of living is up, but the majority of their membership hasn't seen a raise since 2018. They put some interesting numbers out there. If you're curious to see how this is actually translating into people's real lives, you know the cost of making mac and cheese, Johnny, is up 36% over the last five years. Now that's a tragedy. Yeah, you know the cost of steak and potatoes is up 44% over the last five years. I see that. The cost of vegetarian chili is up 8%. Now I'm mad. (laughs) And the members at CSU 52 believe that they deserve a cost of living increase you can learn more about the message they're getting out by checking out edmontonforeveryone.ca if your family is considering a landscape overhaul maybe your front yard is going to finally get the love that it deserves maybe your backyard is going to be turned into an area that is more functional for your family but also increases the value of your home 
The first step you're going to want to take is a consult with our friends at Eden Landscaping. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. So they do a bunch of stuff, and I can tell you about it. You know, retaining walls and water features and outdoor kitchens and lighting and irrigation and drainage and planting and removal and all that kind of stuff. But you know where it all starts? You know what the coolest part is? The planning process. This is a team with experience gleaned over 20 years that's earned a lot of return business and referrals. They're master planners. So you may have an idea, but once you talk to them, Watch that idea evolve. Watch your outdoor space come to life. You can connect with Eden Landscaping today by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. And while this isn't last call for Trash Talk, I wanted to remind you that on Friday's show, we're going to be giving you a chance to blow off a little steam. So if you got something you got to get off your chest, whether it has to do with a show that we did or maybe something completely unrelated, you can send it in an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Trash Talk is proudly presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. You know, a lot of people say it's only garbage, but you know, if you're running a business or if you're making a decision on behalf of a municipality, it's not just that. You want better service. You're looking for better prices, and it doesn't hurt to see more support for local causes. That's what local environmental services is all about. So if you're a decision maker living and working in Edmonton, an area, White Court, an area, Regina, an area, take two seconds today to request a quote. We can virtually guarantee you'll pay less when you visit localenvironmental.ca. Justin follows up with his uh, UFO comments and says there was another really cool scientific confirmation recently with the gravitational wave detection Mm -hmm. that confirmed using the pulsar timing array. He says that essentially uh, turned the galaxy into a telescope. I learn something every single day from our live chat. Whether I mention it out loud or not, I'm always like making notes. I'm like, I got to read more about that. I got to learn more about that. I don't know why I find space so interesting. Is it because like, like you said, looking for intelligent life, are we alone? Or is it because it's just so scary? For it's me, so scary. Like we're literally on a rock hurling through space <laughs> in a vast nothingness that is ever expanding. It just doesn't make any sense. It scares the shit out of me. You know what I love? I love that it reminds us how tiny and insignificant we are. That's what I love about Nothing space. Nothing matters. Nothing do matters. whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. This, this, uh, this portion of Real Talk presented by the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> A little inside joke for some of you. If you know, you know. Coming up on tomorrow's show, very much looking forward to this. Mo Amir is going to join us from Vancouver. He's the host of This Is Van Color. We're going to take a look at what the hell is going on in BC with a whole bunch of stuff, including teeing up our Friday Real Talk Roundtable on housing. But leading us off tomorrow, Dr. Shazma Mathani. We're going to talk about this E. coli outbreak. Absolutely bonkers. More than 200 children sick. What do you need to know as a parent? Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. 
Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.